Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Bill and Deb Jordan, owners of Pensthorpe. Bill and Deb share the heartwarming highs and lows of creating this multi-award winning tourist attraction. Have a listen in to find out what part Bill Oddie played in it all. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Bill and Deb, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's absolutely lovely to see you both. We're going to start off with a few small icebreaker questions just to get us warmed up. So we're going to talk a little bit about cereal today. It's going to be part of the conversation. I want to know... What has been the worst food that, that you've both ever eaten? Oh, my word. I think school food kind of didn't, uh, didn't exactly do much for us. <laughs> school dinners. One of my flatmates once complained that I had a tin of meatballs in the fridge that was open. So now I realise that, you know, many moons ago, I did used to eat badly in London. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tins of cold meatballs in the fridge. To be fair, I, do, I quite like um, cold beans straight out of the tin. So yeah, I'd probably yeah. go for the cold meatballs, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might be all right with that. Let's go for your um, unpopular opinions. An, an unpopular opinion. I, I get very wound up about spin. You know, I, I really do go off on one. You know, uh, it could be about anything where people actually say, so they pick up on something like children using mobile phones and that therefore, you know, they will say that their business prevents that and it's all to do with, the, you know, the fact that X, Y, Z. You know, I, I just get frustrated when people use something that they've heard of in the press that you know is good for people or and then they even if it's like a cereal packet where it's saying this is healthy for you probably because I'll know that Bill will tell me exactly how many calories it's got in it and that it's all a load of rubbish but that that is an opinion I get very wound up about is and I hope I don't then fall into the 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 frame of actually being accused of doing the same thing. I think when I heard the question, I got slightly concerned that I'd reached a sort of age where I didn't even recognise whether the views are unpopular. <laughs> We're all getting there, Bill. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good opinion to have. I wouldn't say that's very unpopular, but I think I think that's a good opinion to have. Might be the definition of being out of touch. <laughs> I doubt that very much considering what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about Pensthorpe today because it is I mean I think it's it's one of Norfolk's like best kept secrets whenever I talk about Pensthorpe I have been describing it to people recently and telling them how fabulous it is and they go never been there we go to Norfolk quite a lot and I'm like right well you have to go there now so I've convinced at least 10 people recently that Pensthorpe is top of their list of places to go it's just phenomenal but I want to know what were your backgrounds prior to Pensort because they're very different. They're not re- they weren't in the attractions industry at all, were they? No, not at all. I think Bill needs to lead on that one. Okay. Well, mine, mine, mine for about thirty, probably more years than that. Um, I'd been, I'd founded and was running with my brother a breakfast cereal company. Uh, I guess you'd call it perhaps a natural food company um, in the days when. 
there was a natural food movement and there was quite a reaction against factory food, which of course still goes on today. So my background was much more about food and land use and farming practice and local food and nutrition uh, and all of those things, which I still find very fascinating, although uh, thankfully I'm not that closely involved as I used to be. It's hard work. You can imagine that's hard work. Did you come from like a farming background prior to that? Or did you, did you grow up in that environment? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we all grew up at a, on a flour mill, which still exists in Bedfordshire. Um, our mum still lives there. She's 96. Oh, wow. She's lived in the same house for over 70 years. So, yeah, we were lucky. We, we got brought up as kids on, you know, kind of above the shop, really. Uh, it was a flour mill. It made white flour. It made brown flour. It made animal feed. It was uh, an interesting place to live. A lot going on. Wow. You, you were kind of in it, right? Right. You lived and worked yeah. there. Yeah, school holidays, you were got, had to uh, you know, bag off animal feed or pack flour or something. It was, kind of went with, uh, with living there, really. Yeah. Debs, what about you? What's your background? Well, I was very lucky to be born um, and live in Ringstead in Norfolk, which is only about 20 minutes, 25 minutes drive away. Um, My dad was a farmer um, on the Lestrange estate, so the farm sort of ran at the back of Old Hunstanton. And yeah, idyllic um, in the summer holidays as we were very lucky to just be out left to just roam and um, I think actually once I ran away um, and um, I was I found a really nice spot to sit for the day and by about 7 p.m I thought actually nobody's nobody cares nobody's noticed and and that did actually really make me laugh and I remember saying to my mum when I got back did you not know did you not notice I'd run away so she no, I know you went out in a very bad mood, but um, no, I hadn't noticed yet, darling. But the good thing is you were hungry, and here you are. And, <laughs> and I just sort of, you know, just remember thinking, gosh, when you look back, how how lucky that was. It sort of made you stand on your own two feet. And um, we used to get involved with a bit of wild oat picking and have jobs around the farm or on, uh, around the house. Um, but sadly... I say sadly because it didn't really suit me. I was sent away to boarding school quite a long way away and was rather rebellious and unhappy, but um, a very privileged start. And and I think that probably stays with you forever about the nature and the, the, the fun and there's so much to explore and you don't really need too much else other than a bicycle and you know, the nature to, to make a very happy childhood. Oh, God, that's really lovely. Ringstead is a very beautiful place as well. Um, there's a lovely pub there called the Gin Trap that I've been mm-hmm. to a number of times. Yes. yes. <laughs> a lot of my youth in the Gin Trap. <laughs> when, when, yes, drink it sipping gin and orange or something ghastly with a boyfriend from Cross Lake. <laughs> Oh, what a lovely. So that's really nice to hear, actually. I didn't realise how kind of embedded nature had been into both of your childhoods, really, which I guess brings us to Pensthorpe. And you you purchased it. In, it was in 2003, wasn't it? And it was originally a bird reserve. What made you make the jump into buying something 
like this? And you know, how, how did that happen? Well, it was a very unusual day when we first um, got to see Pedestal. We we had the children were, I don't know, kind of you know, able to walk by that time, and we had a day wandering around Pedestal. Six and eight. There you go. <laughs> I knew that. Uh, yeah, so we'd had a day looking round Pencil, which kind of came out of the blue. Uh, and no, I think we were all sort of rather bowled over and knocked out by it. It was uh, the kids were surprisingly quiet and reflective. We were having a good time, uh, and we'd read somewhere that it was possibly up for sale. So when we were walking out of Pencil, we asked the lady behind the counter, "Is it still for sale? Has it been sold?" Um, and they said, well, you better go and speak to that gentleman over there. He's, uh, that's Bill Makins. And we did, and then we kind of uh, got pulled into the whole uh, site. Yes, that's how it happened. It was actually, um, Bill had been looking for some years. He, he was always interested in properties for sale in Norfolk. I think he, he may have been thinking that, his connection with Jordan's and conservation and grape farming and that, that he, I think he was already feeling he needed to put his money where his mouth was and start something to do with food in the countryside. A bit like the sort of taste of Norfolk type thing I think was going on in the back of his head. So he was often buzzing around on a bicycle looking. Um, And when Pensthorpe came up, I actually saw it and he was looking at my magazine and, and I said, no way, no, 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 no. So actually then we were visiting Norfolk because we did a lot with our children to see my parents. And um, it sort of came to that, well, why don't we just go and look? Um, and I really wasn't very on board at all. But I have to admit that once here, it's an extraordinary sight. And um, it sort of pulls you in. It's a place that you're sort of not too sure why, but you feel very connected to it. And and I think that it, it really surprised us that day that it, it took us in and it took us along. And then meeting the owner and him connecting with the children, it must have been about this time of year because they'd yeah. obviously the birds molt and there was a lot of feathers that the children had just spent the whole time looking for feathers, <laughs> putting them in um, mm-hmm. in a bag and... Um, we had to sort of say to the owner, look, we haven't been plucking your birds. This whole collection is <laughs> and he was then explaining to us the molt and the, how the, at this time of the year, everything, all the ducks and geese lose their feathers um, and can't fly. So they're all on the ground. And it's extraordinary at the moment how we've got hundreds of grey legs and geese all sitting, waiting for that time where the feathers have grown through and they can then take off again. Um, but it, it was just that he then had some peacock feathers and said, look, here, kids, you know, take these home. And um, and he knew my dad, so he was saying that he had known my dad before he died. And um, um, and so there was a sort of immediate connection there. And then I think he could see that Bill was very interested. And then he suggested before we left because we'd asked about it being up to sale. He told us that it had fallen through. And he suggested that Bill meet somebody called Tim Nevard that lived lo- um, that was working in Cambridge and was working locally. Um, and that sort of rather started the ball yeah, rolling. Yeah. Yes, I think another sort of link had been the fact that with Jordan's, I mean, amongst other things, we'd done quite a lot of work on the supply chain for the cereals. So we were working by then with quite a lot of, farmers who are quite conservation minded 
and we're putting habitats onto their farm for increasing wildlife um, and doing all of those sort of things, which of course was being done at Pencil. So it was an aspect of what we'd been used to in the food industry and it was done being done very well here at Pencil. So yeah, that's kind of how it fitted in as well. What a wonderful story. You went to visit and then ended up buying the place. I love that. <laughs> well, it was a bit of a shock. It wasn't kind of on the cards, that's for sure. No, I think there's funny things as you sort of look back. And at the time, I think we could see, you know, the beauty of the place, the fact that you thought, oh, my goodness, fancy bringing up a family here and getting connected to all this and the bird life and everything else. Um, I think what probably happened, which was... a you know, in hindsight, wasn't so good, was that this connection with somebody that was a very good salesperson on behalf of filmmakers, um, who was saying, you know, I'll bring my family from Brisbane in Australia because they ran the Mariba wetland out there, so I can run this for you. So we actually spent a lot of time working with Tim prior to buying it and hearing how he was going to bring his wife and do the total daily running of the place and that I would be it would be Deb you can get involved in um, you know in the hub and you know bringing in craftspeople and local produce and local gift and Bill can get involved in the farm when we see him because it's going to you were still at Jordan's yeah yeah there. Um, and it wasn't so we signed on the dotted line on December 20, uh, 2002. 2002 and about um, three weeks, four weeks later, we had um, um, a phone call from Tim Neville saying, I'm really sorry, but my wife, my boys are older than I thought. They're very at home in Queensland or were, were mm. Queensland? Queensland, yes, yeah, Queensland. Yeah. Um, and um, and Gwyneth doesn't feel that it's actually something she could do at the minute, but I will be very supportive and I will come and be helpful. So that was a big shock. Mm, yes. um, and so we put the house up for sale and pretty well moved during Jan, Feb, March yeah, 2003. I, was, I think within about 10 weeks, poor Deborah had to move the children from one school to another and make sure we got some housing, try and sell the housing we're in in Bedfordshire. So it was a bit of a traumatic time. Oh, my Amusing, goodness. Amusingly, our children, children, they're big now, they remind us every now and then of what we put them through. And <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't we be guilty? So, <laughs> wow. We have to take it on the chin every time they raise it. I bet. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? So you, so suddenly you've gone from, oh, okay, well, we're going to do this, but we've got someone that that will manage it for us. To that's it. They're not coming, and you're in it. This is this is your deal. You've got to do it. So, so you, Bill, were you still juggling Jordans at the same time? So you had, yeah, you, know, so you had both right. responsibilities. Yeah, no, no, Jordans were still going full ball. Yeah. So how did you manage that? Well, uh, you know, the usual thing. I handed it over to the lady on my left here. <laughs> of course. We've done most of it since then. <laughs> wow, well, Deb, that was, so that was not what you were expecting at all. And then suddenly you've had to completely change your life, move your children, move them to school, move home. And now you are managing a bird reserve. Yeah, it was. It, we were very naive, and it it was a struggle. I think 
um, yeah, I think we're both quite resilient and there really wasn't much that could be done other than let's just crack on and, you know, there's just try and keep really focused and learn from all the people that were already here. And Tim was definitely in the mix, but I, I hadn't realised that it would mean moving that quickly or looking for, you know, somebody to manage. It, 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 it was, yeah... It, it was a, it was it was pretty full on to suddenly find yourself as the person. Uh, um, they had an amazing book in the shop, which was all the garden, and it was it was wildlife of the uh, waterfowl of the of the world. And I remember putting it under my bed and got some binoculars and looked out at the lake every morning to see what was on there to identify what we'd got. And then, you know, we, it was such a small team. There was just you know, four ladies in the shop that ran seven days, two of them did, you know, and um, we had about two two wardens or, yes. you know, on the farm, Bandy and Paul, and, you know, it, it was it was just a very small team and we sort of, and they were really helpful and they explained what I was meant to be doing, what, <laughs> what happened, and um, and then Tim came and went and, and we sort of, and it grew, you know, we were, we didn't really have much of a plan, I don't suppose. Bill kept saying to me all along whenever I said, look, we need a five or a ten year plan. Or, you know, we we just sort of, it evolved. We we worked with the team and we, we started to sort of move slightly more towards trying to, we, we realised our kids, aren't, you know, kids all get nature. You know, you don't have to explain it to them. It's just in, ingrained in them. So we realised we haven't got any young members that, you know, everybody was older and um, more bird related. We really upset one or two of them who wrote in. We, we, just, we had a, a woman that would offer to become a volunteer here. She was a fabulous lady, and she'd actually been GM at the Wildfowl and Weapons Trust. And she said, look, um, Deb, it's really important. We need to get more of a younger generation here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do play. She said, I worked at Wildfowl and Weapons Trust, and they did Welly Bootland. And I'll eat my hat if it doesn't work. And Bill said, I'll eat my hat if it does work. <laughs> <laughs> We had, we had to park Bill. Luckily, because Bill went home every Monday night, we'd sort of work on it quietly, Veronica, I and Mark, as to how we were going to get around Bill. Um, but by actually um, investing in um, an, out, an, an outdoor play area that was as though it was in the wood, as though, you know, it was a nature trail, you know, we, we encouraged people to bring their kids so that they, you know, that, that by getting them further out into the park, they could learn more about nature. But actually, you know, sometimes I think it's the parents that you have to encourage to come to a nature reserve because they sort of think, what am I going to do with the kids? And the kids actually get it and love it. So, um, it, And one or two of the members that sort of said, I'm sorry, but we're now dropping out. We think that you're making a big mistake. I'm, you know, I'm pleased to say that I bumped into the grandparents one day who said, look, I'm going to own up. We're the people that wrote to you and were very rude, but this is Dudley and he's our grandson. And we can't, we, you know, we can't get enough enjoyment and make enough lovely memories with Dudley. So uh, we forgive you. Yeah, oh, so we, that's so nice. 
Yeah. So we found, you know, quite a, quite a, a lot of the heavy duty birders, you know, might have started a bit nervous when they saw children's play and different things happening. Um, but yeah, just as Deb explains, after a bit, they realized that, yeah, they got grandchildren. Um, and here was somewhere that worked for them and, you know, actually got to a couple more levels of, of generations within their family. So yeah. uh, we were lucky there. That's and within about a year, I told Deb that it was all my idea anyway. <laughs> <laughs> as you do. As I like to. <laughs> It's, it's interesting because earlier you you used the word reflective about Pensthorpe and that's very much how I felt when I visited there. And what, mm. but what I found really interesting is that the, the children's play areas, because now you have an indoor play area and the outdoor play area, mm. they have been designed so well that they they don't detract from that reflective feeling. Does that make sense? Like I could, I, I came on my own, I didn't bring my daughter but I could still see how you could bring your children there and just have the most brilliant day of fun. But it is still a very calm and peaceful. It has a very calm and peaceful energy to it, the place. That, and that's, I think, that really comes through the minute you arrive. That's, that's how I felt. Yeah. I think what, what, you know, when we tried to look at the site, which is really unique because it's got so many different habitats, um, and we sort of said to ourselves, so how can we best use this? And I think what we've tried to do is just like the play, which looks very natural, we've tried to continue the journey um, and so that you leave the play and then you head towards the wetland area. But there is a diversion where at the top of the sand hill is, you know, in, in the wood on the top of the sand hill overlooking the lake. So there's this amazing den building area. And when you get them go up there, you know very well that this is a family affair. There's no way that the kids have done yeah. the bit of the den building. But you pass through um, an area where we cut into the wetland and put a big pond dipping. And then we sort of take you further along to a wood at the end where, you know, if a huge tree has fallen in the middle of it, you know, Richard leaves it there and then, you know, the root base is all explained as to, you know, what's going on there, wildlife. And we, we mow a path to it so you can actually know that you're meant to get on the tree and run along the, the trunk. And um, and I think, the, in fact, we had the um, we had a, a meeting here two weeks ago, um, uh, Ecotractions, and um, they were saying which was it was the best thing I'd heard, mm-hmm. the best acclaim I'd had. They said, we, we, we've been out there, Deb, and we sort of get what you're talking about, that you come across all this, this wild play, this just natural what's there is being used to tell a story but have fun with. And we think that the best way of explaining you is a bit like the Lost Gardens of Heligan. Well, you know, boy, that, that was... Mm. We didn't that, mind that at all. We didn't we? mind that at all. <laughs> that is perfect you know it's just what we're trying to do is keep the natural but just encourage people to you know go out and and get further and further from the hub uh, with the trails that Natalie does and her team which is so brilliant and yeah it definitely comes across so that that is is a perfect description of how I felt when I was there. Mm. I want to go back a little bit though, because we've we've kind of jumped forward. Let's go back to 2008 because you get a call from Spring Roch. That must have been pretty exciting at the time. What what did that do for the for the venue? 
Well, perhaps even before answering that, you ought to hear how it actually happened. Because okay, quite... Ooh, share. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you about a conversation well, we had with. Yeah, uh, we'd been told that Bill Oddie wanted to come to Penstock for the, uh, his really wild show, and so we um, and he was here specifically to look at corncrakes, which we were breeding and releasing with the RSPB and um, ZSL. Yes, um, and so uh, he came and I hadn't really seen much of him because he'd been whisked away and he'd met um, the agriculturalist and the team and looked at the corn crakes and then he'd had a little wander as Bill does and then he came back to the hub and I thought oh I'm not very good at selling myself but there is nobody else you just got to do this so I went out with my camera and I just said look you know I'm Deb Jordan and um, I hope you don't mind could I take your photos for our newsletter because it's so exciting to have you here? And he did this amazing sort of thumbs up picture. And he <laughs> said, um, I'm going to do this. And then you can write the copy, Deb, because I absolutely love this place. You can say whatever you like and I'll be happy. Yeah. And it was about three weeks after that when he'd gone that we received a letter to say Bill Oddy has put you forward as a possible site the next move at Springwatch. So I think they'd only done three mm. years in the farm in Devon. They had, yeah. And so they felt, and then weirdly since then, they've moved, I think, almost every three years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I got this letter, I turned to Mark and said, this is special. Put it under my pillow and it stayed there. <laughs> we'll so I said out. yes. It stayed there till, till we'd heard we've got it. So oh, it that's amazing. That, well, well done, Bill Oddie. Thumbs up to Bill Oddie. Absolutely. <laughs> so what, but what did that do? That must have brought so much attention to, to the attraction. It, it, it was amazing for us because although we can hear skylark, skylarks on the hill above the scrape and we can hear our wildlife and we see our wildlife, it was fantastic for us to really get a grip. But when you see those nests that these guys are so clever and professional about finding, um, and I remember taking the children to school one day and on the way hearing Terry Wogan talking about the little ring plovers that had been seen the night before at Pensthorpe on the way to scrape. And I just pulled into a, a <laughs> lay-by and was banging my head against the wheel, thinking, oh, my God, it doesn't get any better than Terry Wogan talking about little ring plovers at Pensthorpe. But they, it, it was fabulous. It, it allowed people to see the breadth of everything um, wildlife and habitat-wise, because it's, it is unusual because you've got the river that runs straight right through the middle. We've got farmland and we've, you know, a farm that's in, in is running. You know, we've got wetland. Uh, we've got, um, so we've got gardens. We've got grasslands. 50, 50 yeah. acres of lake. You know, it's, there's, there's just every sort of habitat you could really want. And, and I think that allowed people to sort of think, well, that funny little place that we hear about, you know, might be worth a visit. So it did help put us on the map, which... Yeah. I think I think we all learned quite a lot from it, you know, having, a, you know, I mean, I think there was probably up to 50, 60 people on site producing. Mm-hmm. And one of the sort of excitements of the day for us was that we'd all be pulled back to the uh, cafe building here, which they'd taken over and had about 40 different TV screens and monitors there. And we could see exactly all the bits that they'd filmed during the day and the night. 
uh, on all the bits that were current and being talked about and interviews that were happening, just to see the whole programme put together, at, mm-hmm. you know, that end of the day, which was fascinating. Uh, was and just the way they handled it and the way, you know, the sort of information they imparted to, to, to audiences is just, no, it was very clever, very clever indeed. Mm-hmm. Was it strange to see the place that you live on the telly? Very strange. In, in fact, it, it one day, I, I quite, can't quite remember what had happened, but because at eight o'clock they go live. I think it was something like a monk jack in my garden that was upsetting me. So I ran as I usually do, got my saucepans and banged my saucepans. And suddenly thought, oh, no. You know, and um, somebody said the next day, what was that noise? We had to sort of cover up. But, um, yeah, to, to tuck into the television knowing, I mean, some nights we'd creep down and hide and or be allowed quite close. But, it, you know, to have those people, to have Kate Humble here, Bill Oddie, and then Bill Oddie swapped with Chris Packham, so to have Chris here for a couple of years. And, um, yeah, it, it was very, very special. And um, It was quite a good set for them. They used to, where, where we're sitting right now, just below us was a sort of room that was completely derelict. derelict. So the whole, the, all of these five cottages here were derelict. And poor old BBC took pity on us and put a few glass windows and things in so we wouldn't look too impoverished. But, uh, yeah, How kind of them. Very kind of them. We touched our cat and thank them, yeah. I want to ask a little bit, and it's something that you talked about right at the beginning where you said, um, you know, where you grew up, you kind of lived and worked. And again, now is where you live and you work. How difficult is it for you to make that work in terms of your kind of like work-life balance? Because you're kind of immersed in your business from the minute you wake up in the morning. Yeah, mm. that, that's that's not the clever bit, is it? <laughs> no, it's, it's hard work. It's quite yeah. hard work. And it's it needs to be mentioned just in case anyone else gets vague and uh, puts their name down for a similar thing. It is hard work and... Uh, you know, you need to get on well with people. And, uh, yeah, you're seven days a week, um, which is, you know, how an operation like this uh, has to has to you know, go. You've got people on site quite a lot of the day. When they go home at five o'clock, we get the park to ourselves and we can wander around. But uh, Yeah, I think um, even as far as the, the, the work side of thing, when I look out of the window, um, I'll immediately think, wow, you know, how lucky, this is extraordinary. And then I'll immediately think all the things that I haven't yet achieved or are on my list for this week that's never long enough. Um, and it's, it's, I think that on, on its own would have been enough. I think to go through some of the hiccups that life throws to the whole COVID thing, the avian flu thing, those make you pause and really, you know, think, um, yeah, that, that was tough. So, you know, we've had some brilliant times, some really big successes, um, but those things sort of leave you slightly wounded. But there again, you know, you've got a big team, and everybody's been through the same thing. You know, the whole world has, has had to, to reorganise and regroup and move on. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, look at, looking forward, um, one needs to be optimistic that we probably had our fair share of, of, um, of, 
of things that haven't really gone our way recently. But mm. on the other hand, there's an awful lot to look forward to. And, you know, we've just done the new rebranding and, and um, we're very lucky with our marketing team that they totally understand this product. And when you've got a team behind you like that, that, that are so inspired by the site and, and are able to get that message across for all generations, whatever bit it is, whatever age you are, whether it's gardens or birds or, or, or families, you know, it's, it's a place for people to come and make memories. And thankfully, um, you know, hopefully we're now, uh, hopefully COVID's now a thing of the past and sadly avian flu won't be because it's still out there and, and, and it's sort of becoming a real problem. You know, it hasn't really gone away this year for, for the UK. You know, even on Springwatch, we were mm. watching the problems they've got in Scotland at the minute um, and even slightly closer to home again. So it is something that we are aware of and that we have to, we have to sort of rethink going forward how, how you know, that we work with what we've got. We, we do, but I think we've also sort of figured out that actually, you know, there is even more sort of requirement, demand, whatever you call it, for getting out there and, you know, nature in its best form and, you know, walking and space and all of those things seem to be even more important to a lot of the visitors we talk to. Yes, so I, I, think, I think it definitely focused us on you know, what is so special about this place. It's the freedom, it's the, the feeling of wellness out there, feeling of being able to put things that are worrying you that week away when you come to Pennsylvania, you get out there and you get diverted by the beauty of the place. You know, COVID was, you know, really problematic for everybody. I had started six months of chemotherapy in January 2020. Oh. So was going into Norwich weekly for my chemo. So then when the country locked down, I would be sort of driving or with sweetly on the bad weeks, somebody would be kind enough to drive me. Um, and, you know, whether it was with my daughter or, or whoever was kind enough to, to come with me, it seemed odd to be out on the roads because the first lockdown, there was no one anywhere. And you get to the hospital and the nurses were amazing, but concerned, obviously, you know, it was every it was new to us all. So, you know, seeing them afraid, but resilient and just pushing on whatever, you know, it, it, it was a, a very unusual time. And, and the, we did do some furlough. Um, so it was very quiet here. Um, because we'd have like one warden in and one avic in and the gardener stayed and the maintenance guy stayed, but everybody in the hub was gone. It was a very extraordinary thing to know that our visitors sadly had no access and were really needing it. There were some very ill people that I was coming across in hospital that were really totally needing nature at that time and they weren't allowed out in it. So that also sort of you know it was a time of sort of looking and seeing and then you know the wonderful thing was when we were able to open up the just knowing that at last you could open the doors and people could do what they had so badly been wanting to do um, and get here and get back outside and um, so we were very lucky that there was 
there was no fear from people that they would come and might get COVID here because there's so much space as soon as we've managed to alter the way into the park and get them through yeah, quickly. Yeah, sure. it, yeah. Um, yeah, it was very rewarding to yeah. to allow people to, uh, yeah. And people were very cautious, weren't they, for quite a yeah, long time for all the obvious reasons yeah. and uh, yeah. it worked well. Gosh, you've really been through some very big highs and some very big lows there, haven't you? Thank you for sharing that with us, Deva. And I, I'm, I'm really glad to see that you are recovered and enjoying your beautiful, your beautiful place again today. Yeah. So let's talk about the future then, because we've talked loads about what's happened and what, what you've been through. The, the venue has just won some really phenomenal awards. Um, and I have to mention, so you were winners of the large visitor attraction of the year and winners of the marketing campaign of the year at the East of England Tourism Awards. But you also, you just won a bronze, uh, a very large attractions award, a very large tourism award, didn't you? Yes, we did. We were absolutely thrilled. Yes, we couldn't quite believe that. (laughs) Um, Because we'd achieved winner of the Easts, um, then I think they put all the winners of the East and maybe others as well. The other regions. The other regions, all the other regions. So you get put into a pot and then the whole thing starts again and somebody from the the the, the nationally one then mm. comes out and looks. So you don't know when they're going to come or when they've been. Um, but when we heard that we'd been put through, that was extremely exciting. Yeah, to go to Birmingham... Um, with the team and um, accept that award. We were we had some huge competition with Chester Zoo and um, Bletchley Park. Bletchley Park. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. No, so um, yes. Pretty huge sort of attractions. So yeah. we we, uh, yeah. we we felt we'd done well to get in that sort of elevated company. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. It was such. It was so fabulous to see you get that get that prize I was really thrilled yeah. for you all um so what next what are the you've just had a beautiful rebrand and may I say also a beautiful website um yeah. and <laughs> it's it's really you know you're in a really wonderful position of kind of exciting new things happening so what's the plans for the venue well I think it, you know we've the site itself is always going to need investments it, it's whether it be a cafe which has got a kitchen that needs work on. We're looking at how to get visitors further afield to more exciting things, but those would probably be more about a planning application. We've been working on a new sculpture garden, which is absolutely in its infancy at the moment. And the whole idea is actually to try and encourage sculptors to loan work so that We've been we've been buying sculpture on a yearly basis, um, which the visitors seem to love. I often come across the stag with people with their children sitting on it, or the wild boar, or whatever it is. And we've just got the new um, uh, fantasy wild fairy and the dandelions, which are a huge um, seem to be pleasing everybody. But the whole idea about that garden is actually to try and so that we can when it when we've progressed it a little bit further we can take photos and say to people look you know it's not that we're wanting to become a sculpture park but we'd like for our members to be able to see other people's sculpture here that they could have the opportunity to buy so that's something that we're working on um, and it's very much in its infancy 
Um, we've got our, our well, there's um, a sort of ongoing program with reintroductions, which is uh, you know pencil to good ass. We've got a very good avicultural team uh, led by Chrissy, and um, yeah, we're working with the MOD Ministry of Defence, uh, who are collecting eggs from various different um, airfields around the east of England. We're then incubating the eggs here, looking after the chicks until they're ready to be released on the, in the washes or, or uh, Ken Hill Farm, uh, which features in, in um, spring wash at the moment, or this spring anyway. So, yeah, there's a lot of that work goes on, which, again, you know, our visitors like. Uh, they can't see a huge amount of it because, obviously, it's all got to be biosecure, but it's something they like to feel that they're supporting, mm-hmm. and it's sort of something that suits the area, and, yeah, it's something... Fortunately, that you know some members of the team here are very good at. So uh, yeah, that 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 continues apace. Um, mm. What else? <laughs> yes. I yeah, I think um, it's probably now sitting with the team and working on a, a more five ten year plan that where we all know exactly where we're going. And you know we're we're trying to just even become more wild. You know, it's it's just just trying to find that happy balance of people with giving them something to do but actually helping them want to to get their kids further out into yeah and there is a lot of space here we keep going on about that but um, you know the reserve itself is probably 200 acres but you've got in total more like 500 mm-hmm. um, and we take you know the discovery tours the land rover tours out in out onto the farmland where we're uh, the wardens are working hard on the habitats there and for, for, for encouraging more biodiversity and more wildlife out in that part of the reserve as well. So, yeah, it's all part of the same thing. And it, uh, I don't think we're going to run out of things to do. Put it that way. No, I think Deb's to-do list is getting longer by the minute, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This has been so lovely to talk to you. I, I would implore all of our listeners to please go and visit Pensthorpe because it is a really magical place. Bill Oddie was absolutely right about it. Um, we're at the end of the podcast and we always ask our guests to recommend a book that they love. So it can be something that you've found useful for your career. It can be something that you just love from a personal perspective. Well, mine, um, the, the one I suggest that everybody should read is um, Fingers in the Sparkle Jar by Chris Packham. Um, I think it may have won best book in the wildlife somewhere. Um, but it's a very remarkable raw. Um, it, it's it gets absolutely into the vulnerability of people with um, Aspergers, and um, so Chris did this extraordinary program on television, which was Aspergers and Me, and um, I I I was amazed by that and and how he put himself into that position of um, saying what was going on in his life and how difficult it had been for him. And this book is very much um, his early memoir, um, probably from about five to about 17. And I think that it's just as any parent, any, you know, um, anybody that has any sort of difficulties with actually fitting into a peer group 
and I'm sure you know there there are many people that either went through them that themselves. When you're reading that book, you you actually sort of feel the pain and you feel the vulnerability and and actually I think it just makes us all as adults especially aware if we've had that in our, our family it helps us understand it if we haven't got it in our family it helps us understand it somewhere else but it is a mesmerizing read so it's not like a chore everybody will read it and his descriptions and his the, the 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 talking the, the way he explains his life in nature, um, it, it's just it's just an absolute extraordinary book. Mm. I have not read that. That's going top of my list. That sounds wonderful. Bill, what about you? Uh, well, we've just had a week away, which was rather nice. I read Citopia by Carolyn Steele, which is a fascinating book, and it's it's. Uh, talks about the way that we haven't been valuing food. We should be doing more on a local scale. The regenerational farming thing comes into it. And, of course, Jake Fines and Holcomb are all involved. Yes. And that's very much a Norfolk thing as well. So, no, I thought it was just a brilliant book. And, and uh, again, we shouldn't be just talking about buying the cheapest food, although for some it's necessary. But we should be looking at the importance of food in the civilization rather than just you know what we can get away with and then you know factory farming and intensive farming you know it's, it's got to change yeah. so that's my book very topical book thank you both um as ever listeners if you would like to win those books um if you head over to our twitter account and you retweet this uh, episode announcement with the words i want bill and deb's books then you will be in with a chance of winning a copy of them thank you both so much today it's been such a pleasure to talk to you I know that you've got a really exciting summer coming up. There's loads going on at Pensthorpe and um, I'm looking forward to coming back and bringing my daughter over to see the place as well. Lovely. So I'll yeah, see yeah. you then. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.